watching all movies with Rebecca and Jason. Are you gonna love them or hate them? Here comes the binge. Hey everybody, welcome to the Binge Movie Podcast, in which a couple of homos review the latest movie theater releases. I'm Jason Leroy. And I'm Rebecca Olarte, and today we're going to take a look at four movies. Uh, Nocturnal Animals, L, Manchester by the Sea, and The Edge of Seventeen. And as always, we're going to rate these movies on a three-tiered scale, with Binge It being the highest rating. Consume in moderation means it's okay, but it's kind of meh. And send it back means... Life is too short for that mess. But guess what, guys? What? Life is not too short for any of the movies that we're reviewing this week. Because, Mm -hmm. spoiler alert, this might be our first ever all binge it episode. Woo! Woo! I wish I had that horn thing. We need to have some hat sound effect. Heads up for that horn. (laughs) I, I I don't need any help with with horn noises. I can bring <laughs> I can bring the horn wherever I go, and I'm bringing it now because this is this is one of those magical weeks um, that sometimes happens later in the year where like everything is good, and all four movies this week are very very good, and uh, and and may even earn some year end list consideration from me later on. So we'll we'll mm. check back in about that later in the year. But yeah, spoiler alert, binge it all four of them and. Uh, Rebecca and I were talking earlier about uh, Pick of the Week, and I think we might just go ahead and say that each one Mm -hmm. is the Pick of the Week. Mm. So the whole episode, the whole episode is our Pick of the Week. Um, So I guess you don't have to listen anymore. Yeah, so just go see these movies. Problem solved. (laughs) And uh, come back afterwards. You tell us what you think about them. Yeah, yeah. Like, you you know, we're tired of having to tell you guys. (laughs) Jeez, take a little initiative. Um, but uh, dress for the job you want. Wear a punny right, t-shirt. A podcaster's job. Wear, wear a punny t-shirt and show up here. With a fresh yeah. Wear wear yeah. Wear a black shirt with white type on it <laughs> and a high and tight haircut, and you will be exactly like Rebecca and I sitting here. I'm still right dressed now. in my Halloween costume as you. <laughs> but I was dressing as you. Oh, oh we did it again. Every year. Oh, chicken of the egg. Uh, so yeah, so it's going to be, we, you know, a little bit of positivity, uh, this week (laughs) with our, our rave reviews for all four movies we're going to be talking about in this episode. But But. most of these movies are incredibly dark and (laughs) very, uh, upsetting. Don't look to these movies for any positivity themselves. No. Um, but there is inspiration to be found from them in the sense that there's inspiration to be found from all great art, even great art about dark things. True. That's very true. Because it's a dark time that we're living in, and uh, and uh, in lieu of uh, yet another installment of What's Up With You, uh, I feel like it'd be disingenuous to do it because life has still kind of been on hold. Yeah, I haven't seen the sun in a week. Yeah, <laughs> like there's no what's up with us because like nothing, there's no space in our world and our lives to have things be up with us because right now we're still just too consumed every waking minute of our lives with figuring out what's coming. Yeah, every every day there's some new information to be uh, scared of, mm-hmm. um, and to um, just you know, I read a thing. Um, okay, I'll say it. It was a tweet. <laughs> <laughs> You're like, I want to say it was in Harper's. Uh, I read this uh, book. It was this quote <laughs> from a tweet. I, I was in the archives was... at local library, and then I looked at my phone and saw this tweet. <laughs> um, but it was just like, I mean, it's not anything new. It's just like when you know, like. Okay, this, this isn't it. But the the theme is... <laughs> Out with it. It's like if a dog says he's going to bite, he's going to bite. 
So like all of the feelings of like, oh, that's never actually going to happen. These mm-hmm. things, that's crazy talk you just said during like the election. Right. No, like believe somebody when they say something as they're already talking about ramping up a mm-hmm. registry and like yeah. using comparisons to internment camps. Like what? This is not a surprise. Isn't there my Angela quote? Like when someone shows themselves to you, believe them. Mm, yes. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. So there's also that. I guess that's better than the tweet I paraphrased <laughs> about a dog talking. There's also that New Yorker cartoon. This, these are like the most elite references. <laughs> We're like, did you see that? I mean, mine was mine was a tweet. Did you see all well, still? Did you see that on your article that was like, um, DNC makes a play to rec- reclaim lost electorate with Hamilton tribute starring Lena Dunham. <laughs> <laughs> Trying to reach out to the lost working class with this thing they think they'll really love. <laughs> um, but uh, with that said, there is a New Yorker cartoon of um of there's like a bunch of sheep in the field and uh, and then there's a billboard with a wolf and oh, the wolf yeah. tagline is yeah. like I'm gonna eat ya yes. <laughs> and the sheep are saying to each other like you know he tells it like it is. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and it was very far side like, which yeah, I appreciated. I did appreciate that as well. Uh, so speaking of <laughs> Lena Dunham, I know that she's she's kind of um, been. I would say somewhat unfairly dinged is like somehow being the face of this um, privileged liberal coastal elite um, that alienated like the working class Democrats. Yeah, because people like to make fun of her because they think she's an unattractive woman that right. speaks her mind. Exactly. Let's not forget what the roots are of the distaste for right. Exactly. Um, but she um, she wrote out a, a little a letter through Lenny, her mm-hmm. you know her email newsletter service. About what happened, um, because obviously she had been she had campaigned for eighteen months. Yeah. For Hillary Clinton was one of the most outspoken um, public figures to do so. Mm-hmm. Uh, so this one piece of her uh, newsletter really spoke to me. She says, "I won't do the voice." She says, <laughs> "A lot of people have been talking about how we need to try to understand how this happened and what's going on in the minds of the people who voted for Donald Trump." Maybe, maybe. But maybe let's leave that to the strategists, to the men in offices who need to run the numbers. It should not be the job of women, of people of color, of queer and trans Americans, to understand who does not consider them human and why. Just that it's not the job of the abused to understand their abuser. It is quite enough work to know about and bear the hatred of so many. It's quite enough work to go on living. Wow. That's pretty good. Strong words. Very strong words. Strong words. Uh, So, and that kind of speaks to... The conversation that we started last week and that, you know, we've all been having around like, oh, well, you know, who are these people, the silent majority that we lost track of? Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, like, because we need to understand them. And I think, yeah, sure. Like big picture. Does it does the Democratic Party need to understand them? Yes, absolutely. Um, but like at the same time, they don't try to understand us. Sure. Yeah, I guess I, I was I talked a bit about how uh, that's something I do for comfort. And it's not necessarily trying to be empathetic and understand but more of just like in a in a sociological way mm-hmm. of like what right, happened out of curiosity. yeah curiosity not like um in a way to i'm in no i'm not looking to build bridges or anything mm-hmm. um, necessarily uh i'm just curious it's right it's like a car wreck yes but yes. a little more grotesque so there's 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 you just got a rubberneck you know yeah sometimes you got a rubberneck um, take a break from the rednecking and roughnecking to <laughs> rubber that neck. And, uh, and you know, guys, we're not planning on talking about this every week. Uh, no. I know it's not super fun to listen to. And especially if you happen to be a listener of ours who doesn't uh, agree with our beliefs, which I mean, 
I don't know what to say about that. I really don't. Yeah. That would be interesting. That would be interesting. Maybe they're trying to get into our heads. Show yourself. Um, but, uh, but yeah, so this is, it's just where we're at and we're going to continue being there. And, uh, I saw, um, Lindy West said something the other day that was like, we have to, she's like, we have to make a fuss every day for the next four years. Yeah. We cannot stop making a fuss. Yeah, absolutely. And once we start, things are going to start happening to people and they're going to start happening regardless. But yeah. We have to fight this. I mean, it seems like one of the big talking points right now is to fight the normalization. Mm-hmm, like, we can't mm-hmm. allow this to be seen like it's normal. Right. And my brain sometimes wants me to think it's normal just so I'll be less upset. So my brain yeah. will just be like, you know what? Like, maybe it's not going to be so bad. I mean, that's that's coping. That's like right. nature. That yeah. just People can't live in a constant state of yeah. distress. So your, your, exactly. your body tries to do things. But that's we, why you can keep watching to. Games of Thrones. <laughs> Even though it gets more and more violent, you start normalizing it. Right. So we can't ever forget that this is not normal, that this is a massive affront to democracy and decency, and that it is by absolutely no definition okay that it happened. And that it is, we can't allow, like, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, he did get elected. Um, why? What, what was that? I guess that was weird. And we can't ever, no, we no. can't ever forget that this is wrong. No, and absolutely not. Yeah. Um, and I think that like talking about it on the podcast, like we uh, just saw Nocturnal Animals, which will be the first movie we're talking about. Mm-hmm. And like, I mean, at least right now, I'm not watching movies the same way. Like, no, um, w- I am emotionally going in there with baggage. And mm-hmm. it's it's I, I don't want to say it's tainting, but it's changing the lens through which I'm watching movies. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that, you know, how I would have reviewed Nocturnal Animals two years ago is a little different than how I would have done it today. For sure. Nocturnal Animals. And we'll get into this in the review. Um, I'll just wait for the review. Um, oh, all right. But uh, but yes, it is very much informed now by the election. It's a it's surprisingly relevant. Let's um, get uh, post elections. So, let's yeah, get into it then. Let's get down to it. So uh, as we mentioned, our first movie is Nocturnal Animals. An art gallery owner is haunted by her ex husband's novel, a violent thriller she interprets as a veiled threat and a symbolic revenge tale. My ex husband used to call me a nocturnal animal. I didn't know you had an ex-husband. I've been thinking about him a lot lately. And then recently he sent me this book that he's written. It's violent and it's sad. And he dedicated it to me. Did you love him? I did something horrible to him. So you were about to say something about nocturnal animals before you cut yourself off. Yes. Uh, so I saw this in Toronto, ding, and uh, at the time, it just, I, I really enjoyed it purely as um, a really audacious, masterfully directed uh, thriller mm-hmm. slash uh, sort of conceptual drama. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I was just kind of like, oh, it's so awesome. Like it was already, it, it made a huge impression on me and I loved it from the get go. But then watching it again this week after the election, it took on a lot more um, significance to me mm-hmm. um, because, uh, you know, the story that we have here uh, is about a woman who is from Texas and then she uh, moves to New York. She uh, meets, uh, uh, she runs into an old friend of hers, also from Texas, now living in New York. He's trying to make it as uh, an author. She's trying to make it as an artist. Um, and uh, they end up getting married, um, but then she ends up leaving him for someone else, and then she moves across the country, and she's living this very extremely wealthy, glamorous life in Los Angeles. Um, and he uh, moves back to Texas. Uh, this is sort of like the backstory of the movie. 
and um, and then he writes this um, this novel called Nocturnal Animals, and he called her Nocturnal Animal. I think as we covered in the clip, mm-hmm. and um, and it sort of imagines a life that they could have had, and then it destroys it extremely violently. Extremely violently. Um, and um, and so she is. She's very aware that she is in this kind of. I don't want to keep saying bubble, but that she's in this very. Um, just very luxurious upper echelon life, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and she feels guilty that she's sad about her life because now she's not happy in her marriage. Mm-hmm. Her she and her husband are kind of unraveling, um, and uh, so she is reflecting on who she was and who she wanted to be and who she's become. And so there's this kind of conflict right there in the center of it between this, like, the real America, like, middle America, so, you know, the South, mm-hmm. um, with, like, you know, coastal elite. And uh, and there's this kind of mutual um, negativity that flows from mm-hmm, both directions, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. both for her disdain toward the, her roots and then um, this violent revenge story that this her first husband has written. Um, in which uh, a sort of like well-to-do elite couple uh, family is terrorized by rednecks. Go <laughs> <laughs> right for it. Uh, so, uh, so it's 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 kind of it's hard to to watch and not see um, lots of that playing out. And in particular, one of to me one of the most troubling conversations that's kind of come up as a result of everything that's been going on is this thing of how. Um, you know, these conservative dudes are calling liberal dudes cucks and how that's mm, like the term mm, of the all the all right yes. uses the word cuck um, yes. to describe liberal dudes short for, you know, cuckold. And, uh, you know, this is what happened to Kumail Nanjiani and Thomas Middleditch when yeah. they were attacked at a bar in L.A. recently. This week, yeah. Um, God, it all feels... It's, it's so crazy. I mean, it's not so crazy. It is not so crazy. But it is like, that is definitely the go-to word. And it's like the biggest insult of this community is like a, the most misogynist term right it's like that you're a sucker because your wife's getting fucked by somebody else like Mm -hmm. your wife is your property right and you're a fucking piece of shit because oh it's so terrible it's very upsetting it's It's very upsetting i want to like i want to like you know start making t-shirts that say like i only fuck cucks or something like that (laughs) just a cuck fucker yeah cuck fucker Don't be so wordy with it. Yeah, see, this is uh, this is the kind of editing that I need. Can you make it uh, a I... white print on a black t-shirt? <laughs> that would be great. Um, and then on the back, free, it'll say the binge. Feel free to update your Twitter bios accordingly. <laughs> um, and uh, so, in in this story, um, one of the main points um, of contention mm-hmm. for Jake Gyllenhaal's character, who plays um, Amy Adams' first husband, um, and also plays his surrogate in the story within the story. Because so, just to address that briefly, just so you guys understand what we're saying, she gets this book, this manuscript from her first husband, who she hasn't spoken to in 19 years, and she begins to read it, and then it plays out. We see it in her mind what mm-hmm. she's what she's picturing reading it. So it's like a movie within the movie mm-hmm. that's very different um, from yeah. her part of the movie, mm-hmm. and um, and she pictures him as the main character. Um, and we know it's him because we also see him in flashbacks because she begins to reflect on the beginning of their relationship. And I just want to say really quickly, uh, so you have that. You have the, the, the book that she's reading, which is played out. You have her life that's going on that's falling apart at that very moment she's reading this book, so mm-hmm. really causing her to reflect on things. Mm-hmm. And then you have her re- her uh, remembering 
their relationship from when she was married to her first husband. And I want to say it was a really great job of editing because like that's a, that's a lot of complicated mm-hmm. storylines. Three different kind of storylines. Different people, different ages, paid by mm-hmm. people who look like each other that yes. don't, aren't necessarily each other. Um, and it's edited beautifully. Like you are not, you follow along the entire yes. time. Yes. And, uh, and I will say to that, uh, that the first time I watched it, I was confused by how much time had what we are supposed to believe had gone by right yeah um because uh we find out that you know there's this one kind of throwaway line and they do kind of tag team the line just to Mm -hmm. really drive it home because army hammer plays her second husband who she's currently with and uh, he's like oh edward uh you know what's been 20 years and she says 19 yeah so you know you have this back and (laughs) forth between them just to like really make sure you hear it i still didn't hear it (laughs) watch it the first time and so i was like wait am i supposed to believe that amy adams these flashbacks and amy adams now is 19 years older and it turns out that yes that is what i'm meant to believe um and watching it upon um i've now seen this movie three times and uh and on repeat viewings um Particularly the second time, I could see the very sort of subtle ways very that they subtle. that they de-age and then age her. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of hair parts. Yes, it has to do with hair. It has to and do with hair like, severity and 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 overall facial dewiness. Mm, yeah, when, and, and apparently just the when women get older in this uh, world, they get more uh, severe haircuts. Yes, more, more severe haircuts and like in like you know sort of like more um, gothic makeup. Mm-hmm. Yeah, which I mean. And not to get further into this tangent, but Tom Ford styles Amy Adams so beautifully. I mean, that's a whole other th- tangent we can go yes. down as far as every... The makeup in this movie is beautiful. Oh. Everyone is amazing. Um, Even the disgusting rednecks um, yeah. have jawlines for days <laughs> and abs for weeks. Um, yeah, beautiful movie. Beautiful. beautiful movie. Um, so, but back to this discussion of masculinity and weakness. Um, so... Uh, you know this 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 recurring one of the the main insecurity of Jake Gyllenhaal's character is that he feels like he's perceived as weak. Mm-hmm. I would say that I would say that it is not a uh, an insecurity of his so much as it is something that she brought to the relationship. I think that he was sort of when you go to the flashbacks, he was himself, mm-hmm. and then she has this baggage coming from her her parents and her right. family and like their expectations of life. She comes and, from a very well to do family, and her mother is played by Laura Lenny. Yeah, which is hilarious and amazing in a perfect, spectacular single scene performance. And so there's a lot about what he can do for her in terms of providing the lifestyle that she wants. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, she has this like youthful moment where like that doesn't matter, and all she follows is love. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it's it seems to to creep into their interaction the the her perception that probably comes from seems to come from her mother about him being weak. I wouldn't say that he kind of came with that, yeah. but I feel like it was it was put upon him, and it definitely reflects the character in the novel that he's writing about yeah. this man in their relationship. It's all very Liz Lemon and Chris. Cross, uh, <laughs> if I'm to draw a connection to Thirty Rock, he's a real Chris. Yeah, he just wants to have his hot dog stand, That's and it. Um, and you know, and then she starts to let her mother, who's like, I guess the Jack Donaghy, yeah, uh, get into yep. her head yep. and make her think that like, well, this man is not good enough for you. He's not your equal, right? Um, so, and then in this book, um, he it's it's it, he incorporates it very strongly, fully. fully. Um, it goes from subtext to text um, in the book. Um, and then it just becomes entirely about um, him being put in this position where he is just emasculated. Yeah. And um, right to the end. Um, and, and most of that comes through this this uh, very, very tense, very long, drawn out, um, you know, will they or won't they basically annihilate these people, mm-hmm. um, this this group of, of really troubled young men. 
Um, and that was another thing that, that really stood out uh, post-election as we hear all these tales of, first of all, the election rhetoric around, um, you know, disrespecting women mm-hmm. and um, assaulting them. Mm-hmm. Um, so that makes it rough to watch. Um, and then just like people preying on other people for their differences. Right. Um, that also made it tough to watch. And also the whole thing of it being sort of a battle of strength, of, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. which yeah. also ties back into the Brute cuck strength, the not... cuck thing, as well as into the thing that happened to Kumail Nanjiani and Thomas Middleditch, because ultimately these guys who came up to them start calling them cucks and started, you know, making racist comments to Kumail. Then we're like, you want to take it outside cuck? Right. Uh, so taking it to that just fucking caveman place mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. just making it about physical strength. Yeah. And um, and so it, it it really stings watching this movie because basically Jake Gyllenhaal's character in these in this envisioning of the novel um, is physically powerless to protect his family. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and uh, and you know and and it's uh, yeah a lot of just misdirected um, aggression from these you know these like poor you know white trash dudes. Mm-hmm. Um, being taken out on this family. Yeah. Um, that seems to represent, you know, like they're saying like, oh, you think you're better than us? You think you're fancy? So they're sort of mm, triggered. Yeah, there's they're, a lot of that. They're, yeah. they're, they're triggered by uh, how the family seems to be very like bougie. And to clarify, these these guys, um, these assailants, I mean, they're like, they're insane criminals. Yeah, like, they're, they're not sympathetic. They're, it's, it's not like they were not... doing okay and then they were pushed over the edge. Yeah, like, this is they're the not thing necessarily they do. just like, oh, I voted Trump because like, it's, it's not <laughs> right. cool being white anymore. Like, like these are like psychopaths. Down, right murderers mm-hmm. um so not to like blur those two groups a little too much but right, but yeah. those are things that like again in this but in terms world of the right rhetoric now, it feels weird and it's it feels more triggering uh than it would have you know two years ago mm-hmm. yeah yeah for sure um so uh so big picture this movie is uh so that that's kind of speaking to you know this idea of how it, it what parts of it resonate more now post-election mm-hmm, than mm-hmm, they mm-hmm. did um a few months ago um, big picture, this movie, I will say this movie is not for everyone. No. Um, and it's a movie that actually of the four movies that we're giving binge it to tonight of our four picks of the week, it has the lowest tomato meter by about 20 points. Really? Last I checked. Um, I, when I looked earlier today, it was at 74 and, every, and the other hmm. three movies are all in the high nineties. Wow. Um, and, uh, so, you know, it's not for everyone and it's certainly, um, you know, but boy, is it for me. Um, but, uh, you know, it, it's it's definitely, you know, and Tom Ford is, you know, previously directed to Single Man, which is... So this just, is not in the same note of a Single Man at all. Single Man is a very, um, uh, a very slow, very thoughtful, somber, very... Somber, melancholy, yeah, exactly. lyrical. This, is, this, has that, this has that in it. It um, has, there's, you know, she's Her like, solitary scenes while she's reading have that quality to them. Yeah, there, there are these moments where she, you know, you see a lot of her just like taking a shower and mm-hmm. like... Again, she's this nocturnal animal. She ha- she isn't sleeping. Uh, so there's like you know uh, depression, and and it's also you know she lives in a beautiful house like mm-hmm. um, uh, he did in a single man. Yeah. Um, but it's yeah. There's a lot more uh, action and yeah. violence. Yes. Um, yeah. So yeah. it he basically takes what you might think of as a Tom Ford movie in the sense that the present tense of the story is. You know, it takes place in the very wealthy, glamorous, you know, like enclave. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, we follow her to these destinations like, you know, fabulous party and like a board meeting at her gallery. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, just and uh, and there's lots of um, humor mm-hmm, in these scenes. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie is surprisingly funny. Um, yeah. uh, brings a lot of humor to these. Uh, there's uh, some hilarious single scene performances, not only from Laura Linney. Mm. Uh, but also from Jenna Malone. Yes. From Andrea Riseborough, from Michael Sheen. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, there are uh, a lot of uh, a lot of great actors that come through with just a single scene to be hilarious, and and, and one with only a single line of dialogue, um, and a and just unforgettable um, side eye from Kristen Bauer von Stratton, <laughs> uh, best known as Pam from True Blood. Mm. Uh, has one very, very wonderful, but very, very brief mm-hmm. scene. During and there this. are a lot of um, standout performances from the main cast as well. Mm-hmm. You have Michael Shannon here. Um, Michael Shannon, is uh, he, he's in the story within the story as a sheriff who's helping Jake Gyllenhaal um, on his journey to uh, justice. Michael Shannon is so fantastic in this movie. He really is. This deserves to be in the supporting actor um, conversation. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a crowd-pleasing performance. It's a sympathetic performance. It's Michael Shannon at peak Michael Shannon. And I felt like it, it did a really good job of uh, creating a space between the two stories. Like his character is so very in a different story than she, than her character is in, mm-hmm. in, in like sort of like the real world um, that it, it really helped to kind of close out that, that section of the movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it really set it a place. It felt like mm-hmm. it was in a different movie, but like right. in a good way. Right, right, right. Jake Gyllenhaal. Jake Gyllenhaal is, uh, is excellent. Very intense. Uh, Amy Adams. Now we're two two weeks, two consecutive weeks, yeah. two consecutive Amy Adams raves. Um, this is a very different performance. Yeah, from I haven't seen Arrival, Arrival still, yeah. but uh, I can I can only imagine. <laughs> I can only imagine. And then we have uh, who plays her surrogate in uh, yeah, uh, Star Isla, with an, What was Isla, that? That was Isla a weird Fisher. thing. Isla Fisher. Um, Isla Fisher plays her stand-in in the movie. Um, in the movie within the movie, and um, and so it's interesting that in her mind. She is picturing her actual first husband as the protagonist. And then she's picturing a woman who looks just like her, but is not her <laughs> as her character. And then a, a girl who looks like her daughter, but is not her daughter yeah. as her daughter. So Tom Ford has a thing with uh, redheads then? Apparently. Is that, is that what I'm picking yeah. up here? Yeah. I mean, there's there's so much like sort of like redhead fetish porn in this movie. Um, just lots of just like p- shots of like long limbed, you know, sort of porcelain skin redheads mm-hmm. in repose. With long flowing hair, um, yeah, Julianne Moore from a single Julianne man. Moore from Single Man, mm-hmm. um, so which she was not nominated for. Let me just take a moment to again <laughs> express a grievance about the fact that she did not get nominated for that movie. Um, but uh, but okay, so taking a big picture, this is not a movie where technically very much happens. This is a movie about a woman who reads a book. That's essentially what happens in mm-hmm, this movie. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, this is a woman who just kind of goes about her day for a, a, a two days while her husband's away on a business trip. And during that time, she's, you know, attending to her business as need be. But mainly she's just reading a book. Yeah. I, I mean, I do feel like, you know, it's it's curious timing that this book arrived, like, just as she's on the precipice of, like, really looking into the abyss of what her life is. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that those moments happen where you are like, what what have I been doing? Mm-hmm. What are the, the decisions that I made that led me here? I mean, that's, like, a real crisis, oh, yeah. I think, that happens to a lot of people in their lives. And, like, this, I, I feel like that's enough of a thing. Uh, oh, yeah, happen. for sure. Oh, I'm not saying it to say that it's not enough to make a movie. Um, I'm saying that, like, just to adjust your expectations for what you're getting in this movie. Mm. Um, because if you if you look at it from that kind of big picture point of view, it's a very small story. Not yeah, very yes, not very yes. much happens in her in her um, frame. Right. Because when a guy has a midlife midlife crisis, he goes and like fucking destroys everything <laughs> or acts like a weird crazy person, and she just like doesn't go to sleep and reads this book all day. Right. Uh, so and you know this is not a movie that has um, the ending will leave you unfulfilled. 
Um, hmm. I'll throw that out there. Um, at least, you know, but I think when watching it the second time, um, knowing what the ending was going to be, you know, it, it, I was like, oh, it's, it's so perfect. It was amazing. Yeah. I thought the, the ending okay, was Okay, so watching right the first point. time, you were already on board. I was already on board. Perfect. Because I was so when, when I was watching the first time, I was expecting the thing that she's expecting. Mm-hmm. And then it doesn't happen. I was like, oh. Um, no, I was on board with that. Okay. 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 Well, there you go. Um, yeah, I, I, this is, this is such a, this is a fantastic, audacious, um, work of art. There is not, uh, there is not a, fucking particle out of place in a single no. frame of the movie i feel yeah it sounds like he'd be really hard to work with based on how amazing these movies come out <laughs> do you know he's from texas no um but i was just reading an interview with him today where um he was talking about like how much of this he pulled from his own childhood and then he may have actually mentioned that yeah i was in texas yeah and, he was and, in texas and, and like a curse story he goes and he goes to school in new york and he felt very um very close to um you know the character uh, Jake Hall's character and his kind of um, insecurities uh, mm. and around his own weakness and mm-hmm. being bullied and not being able to fight up, you know, fight for himself and fight back. Uh, you know, Tom Forrest saying that now he, you know, he's all about being a filmmaker now. He's like, it, he said he takes more pride in his film work than he does in his design work because he says he's like, I'm just a commercial designer. Yeah. You know, he's like film I do because, and he's like, not just that obnoxious, but like I have money from other sources and I don't do film for money. I do film because I really love it. Well, I'm glad he does. And he's two for two. Um, he's one to watch. This is just a masterfully directed film yeah. and uh, it's, 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 it's tough. It's audacious. And, uh, and, and we loved it. It's one of our picks of the week. It gets a binge it and it's rated R for violence, menace, graphic nudity, and language. Uh, speaking of rated R or extra R, that brings us to movie number two, which is L. A successful businesswoman gets caught up in a game of cat and mouse as she tracks down the unknown man who raped her. So this is a French language film. The trailer was in French. Uh, so we skipped it. Yes. And uh, instead, oui. Jason will read to you from the script in French, please. <laughs> Jason? Uh, nope. Okay. Um, do you want to uh, give a little... Je m'appelle Michel. Uh, <laughs> j'ai un chat. Uh, yeah. So it's in French. It's directed by Paul Verhoeven. Who you are partial to. Who I, well, I wouldn't say that I'm partial to him. I, I owe him a great debt of gratitude for bringing showgirls into the world. Um, but he is, this is, this is. I thought you were going to say Robocop, but go ahead. <laughs> there's also Robocop. There's Basic Instinct. Um, there is Total Recall, I think was his. Um, but um, this is a very surprising movie from Paul Verhoeven. Um, because it, it, he has become better known for these these very um, you know very subversive, very perverse um, Hollywood movies, but Hollywood movies that weren't especially known for their character insight, we'll say. Mm-hmm. And this is uh, very much a character piece, and uh, in which he has um, partnered with Isabella Bear, who's one of the great actresses of our time or any time, to make this very bold uh, uh, kind of iconoclastic character and build a, a, an entire movie around her um, a very richly written uh, richly conceptualized character named Michelle who as we mentioned um, is a victim of rape uh, who uh, goes on a very unique journey um, following this attack that happens in her home there are similarities between this and nocturnal animals I'll say uh, both involve sexual assault mm-hmm. and both also uh, play with genre in kind of unexpected ways. Uh, Nocturnal Animals is, you know, several movies in one. It's mm-hmm. a, it's a sort of like an existential character piece. It's a, mm-hmm. it's a blood-soaked like revenge western. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, it it's really a, is. it's a society satire. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, it's a romantic drama. 
Uh, mm-hmm. So it's kind of all those things at once. L, um, L only tells one story, but it tells that story in a variety of tones that are very surprising as you're watching it. Mm-hmm. Um, like it'll it'll be funny at moments when you're like, this shouldn't be funny right now, um, but uh, but it it follows through on those things, and it uh, it's equal parts uh, drama, comedy, revenge thriller, um, kind of a, a, you know erotic character piece a lot it's a lot of movie and um and it's not something that you've seen before there's not really another movie that's like oh yeah Elle's just like this no there's really no movie that Elle is like Mm -hmm. workplace drama workplace drama um according to at least one critic uh and this will you know probably open up our our more pointed conversation but um Sheila O'Malley writing for RogerEbert.com described it as the smartest movie about consent she had ever seen uh which is which Hmm. is an interesting reading on what happens in this movie i think so i think you know, we, we left the theater kind of with two different um opinions on the movie and i i think that's um i wouldn't necessarily necessarily say by design but i think that that's a would be a common occurrence i think there's there are a lot of um interpretations of this movie mm-hmm. um and i i um i think that that that's going to be a thing that you'd see if you i think if you read the reviews you'll see some mixed um ideas about what the point is or or what what this movie is trying to say mm-hmm. if it or if it's trying to say anything at all right um so um i found the movie um i i, I left it not liking it mm-hmm. and i couldn't quite verbalize why and the more i thought about it the more i felt like there there was too much it was almost like a, a kitchen sink type situation mm-hmm. um around this character um you know she has there's this huge backstory where she's mm-hmm. basically the daughter of france's number one of all time worst serial killer mm-hmm. and had um kind of been conned into participating in some of it when she was a kid or um, not not objectively but that she had been in the public eye she is yes. thought to have helped her father yes yeah and so she so you'll have people just walk up to her while she's minding her business and just like throw food on her because they think that she's this disgusting killer right um so you have that huge backstory which like if you know if you're, if you're forming like uh the study of a person like mm-hmm. that automatically is going to send you in a completely different direction um you have this horrific rape that starts the movie off, um, which is one of those, po- has one of those points where it's like, um, you had mentioned something's not supposed to be funny. There's like this cat in the scene, mm-hmm. um, which which was kind of odd. Um, you have... Especially for Rebecca, who whenever she sees a cat, it just triggers certain emotions yeah, right away. Yeah, I was away. having a real conflict. Right. A real conflict. Because you want to be like, cat! But you couldn't be like, cat! Because you're hearing a rape and you're watching and exactly. the cat's watching the rape. Um, so way to ruin cats moving. <laughs> Automatic send it back from Rebecca because it ruined cats for her. It's like one thing the movie can't do and it's ruined cats. I'm going to go watch Nine um, Lives. You have uh, her mother who mm-hmm. has reacted to uh, what happened with her father in a, in a completely uh, crazy way and is, is also abusive and mean. Very vulgar. Uh, you have her workplace where she's the, like, the CEO of this video game company. Um, and like there's a whole story there about how you know everyone resents this female CEO and mm. they like harass her sexually there as well. Mm. Um, and then her views around this like kind of like this rape within the game mm-hmm. um you have an affair that she's having you have her, her son, son. Mm-hmm. uh who it, there's just there's so much and i think i was trying to like 
pair things up and see like what what led into what like right. what made someone make someone react certain ways mm-hmm. and it was it was so much that it became impossible which became really frustrating for me hmm. um, and then so all the ways that like I think there's been this interpretation or maybe your interpretation of her being powerful in the way that she um, kind of goes on this like revenge um, trail and, and the way she handles like what happened to her seems to be clouded by all these other factors. Um, it, it makes it a less clear um, uh, tr- path for me. Interesting. Uh, I guess for me, uh, I see all these different stories as she's occupying a similar role. Like there's a connective thread through all these, the, the roles that she plays in each of these stories that she's ha- has happening in her life. Is that victim? Uh, no, actually. Um, her, her role is, um, is of a, a woman who is, you know, who is strong and who is accomplished and is of a certain age and who must still constantly sort of defend her own agency mm-hmm. against men who would take that from her. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so we have, we have the rapist um, who, you know, try, who takes her sexual agency from her and her bodily agency from her. Mm-hmm. Um, and then as the film progresses and, um, and, and she uh, sort of decides that she, she finds out who the rapist is and then she sort of initiates a sexual relationship with him that, in which that she would be controlling out of her own uh, sexual desires. And then he is horrified by that. Mm-hmm. Um, so we have at the workplace, we have these, these much younger men mm-hmm. who are very contemptuous of her and, um, and she must, uh, sort of assert her power and her agency there while these men are finding ways to humiliate her. And she must like hold on to that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, she has her estranged husband who has this much younger new girlfriend. She has, mm-hmm. um, the man she's having an affair with. Um, she has her son who himself is being, um, sort of humiliated by his mm-hmm. like nightmare, uh, fiance. Uh, so, you know, so I think in each of these scenarios, you see her sort of having men trying to kind of like edge her out and like not let her have her voice and do what she wants to do. Mm-hmm. And uh, in every setting, she is challenging that and she's fighting for her agency. Mm-hmm. And um, and uh, so I, I think that, uh, you know, and also, so I think there is that meaning there. But I also think that the desire to like project and find meaning from it is still like a more American. You know, this is a French film. And, you know, and mm-hmm. uh, so I think it is more fundamentally like American to kind of be like, OK, well, what is this all saying? What does it all mean? I think for a lot of French films, there's not like a clear takeaway. Sure. Um, and I think that that's totally valid. And that's a, that's like a fun movie experiment uh, and way to think as well. But I but when I don't know, you, you sort of when the takeaway that I've heard is like about empowerment, um, mm-hmm. especially in relation to this, like, I mean, the rape scene is like. If there isn't a point, it seems gratuitous, mm-hmm. right? So, like, there, there kind of should be something to think about there. Otherwise, it's like, what? Then that's disgusting. That you're just gonna put it on, put it on there for right. what? Then. Well, and I think, and that's the crux. That's the crux of um of any sort of disagreement that I think that you and I might have, or that any audiences might have about that, is whether the film is not reverent and respectful enough in its uh in its approach of rape as subject matter. You know what it reminds me of? Sorry to cut you off. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm trying to think of the movie that we were you were, you had watched and you were, had like tensed up because someone had something was going to or about to say something about a gay character. 
Um, I don't know oh. what it was, but you got, you kind of got like needled and you were like sort of, yeah. oh, what's he going to say? What's going to happen? Right. I feel like rape scenes can be that way for women. Mm-hmm. Um, so if there, if there isn't, if it's just so that people can be like, whoa, that was fucking crazy. Did you see mm-hmm. that cat? Like it, it seems like it's not worth yeah, the. No, and I don't think that the movie is being like, oh wow, rape. You know, I don't. Sure. I, I don't think that's what the movie is doing or sure. saying at all. And I think that you know it doesn't make it seem like. Uh, you know, I think that she does not want to give it the reaction that it wants from her. She does not want to give her attacker that power mm-hmm. over mm-hmm. her to then unravel and you know she does unravel to an extent she isn't in a very controlled parisian way mm-hmm. but she does you know she's still very freaked out um and you know about what has happened to her and um and i think that she is she is not letting her attacker decide what her narrative is going to be now that he has done this to her mm-hmm. and I, I, uh, yeah and i think that that's i think that's interesting uh and it doesn't go down like you know we've we've all seen movies about um you know about uh rape stories and uh, and a lot of them tend to follow a more traditional narrative mm-hmm. of uh you know following this woman as she sort of like assumes the role of victim um and goes through this process and I, which i say with all due respect and you know and goes through this process of grieving and mourning and sure. trying to piece it all together and figure out what her life is now and um you know and but i think that every woman is different and i think every experience is different and i think that absolutely the character of michelle um goes through it the way that michelle goes through it and by you know i think that you know her doing what she does when she finds out who the rapist is does not in any mean by any means say that she's saying that you know oh well i'm glad it happened uh or like mm-hmm. cool that was sexy when you did that i want more um, you know, like, I don't think that that is at all what's happening. Um, so. I agree. And I definitely, definitely was thinking about like, I, I am not one to say how anyone should react to anything and, mm-hmm. and not that there's a right or wrong way at all. Um, the, the two questions I had about the way she responds, one is, is this supposed to be looked at like, oh, this is the way like a boss bitch handles like something going wrong? Like were we sort of like, um, uh, praising this in in and then by default sort of like not admiring a woman who uh, takes it in a more mm-hmm. um, you know uh, is more affected obviously affected by it and then two I feel like if this story was written by or directed by a woman it would be a little bit different mm-hmm. um, to sort of figure out that interpretation um, right. and, and, and as she responds the first thing I, I think of again is like well, she did have that father who was a serial killer. So, like, how would that? How would that person respond? Like, is this just? A, mm-hmm. Is this like her taking agency, or her being so used to abuse and like mm-hmm. um, uh, a maladjusted life that like this is how this is like? Look at how this you know woman in this weird situation responds. Right. Well, I, I don't. I don't think that it is saying this is how bad bitches are going to respond. I don't think it's. It's not holding up any <laughs> like, kind of. When you say it with that bit of a tone, <laughs> that that tone. Uh, I think. You know, when it doesn't hold up, like there's no other woman who it holds up and is like, here's an example of a weak woman. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, here's what a strong woman would do. I don't think the movie has that kind of binary in, in its mind. I think it's mm. just about this woman. And mm-hmm. I think it's it doesn't think of her as being like a boss. I think it just thinks of her as being a very complex um, middle-aged woman uh, who has attained, you know, who has fought and clawed her way to a certain place in her life. Um, and in terms of, you know, who wrote it and who directed it, um, Isabella Lepere actually she read this book um, and then she's the one who initiated turning into a film after reading the book 
Uh, so she had a great deal of agency in in making this into a movie. Like oh, interesting. She 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 read the book on her own, and then found the producer. Uh, you know, found a producer for it, and then through that they came to Paul, uh, Paul Verhoeven, and uh, and that's how it all came together. Uh, so it was actually so she uh, responded very strongly to this material and um, and wanted to see it turn into a film. And uh, so you know, and I, I don't think that. Um, uh, what was some of the things you're saying toward the end of your? Oh, I was just saying that um, looking at her response to what happens is clouded by mm, her, oh, right, by growing her... up under the sure, uh, you know, manipulation yeah. and sure. terror of a well serial killer father. <laughs> right. Well, you know, and and I think that every you know every victim of any violent crime brings whatever they've experienced in their lives to the table for like how they respond to it. And mm-hmm. I think that she, you know, she said that her father was never her father was never abusive in the home. You know, her father, it sounds like, based on what they say in the, in the film, had like a psychotic break and went on this one insane killing spree over the course of like... <laughs> oh, you know, it was just one you know, insane killing spree. just one of those spree. cases of the Mondays and, you know, went on a killing spree over the course of one night. And um, so I don't think it's setting up... And I think that, you know, that, of course, forced her to, you know, grow up very quickly and, you know, probably build a very tough exterior um, mm-hmm. to deal with the outside world after she and her mother became these sort of tabloid figures uh, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. of what her father had done. But I think even, you know, the the father legacy, I think, looms large over the story in terms of, like, mm-hmm. her fighting for her own agency and her own consent and yeah. her own life, being, mm-hmm. like, having, you know, I mean, what could be more quintessentially that than trying to get out under, from under the shadow of your evil father? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and I think, you know, the way that she plays out, because as the film begins, her father is still in prison yeah, um, for this crime that happened decades ago, these crimes. And, um, and, you know, the way that her relationship with him plays out is very tough and very decisive. It really is. One thing we can agree on here mm-hmm. is um, really a standout performance. Mm. Um, definitely, uh, you think, end of the end of the year lists for this one? Oh, Not yeah. Not by us, but... Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, this is, this is one of those performances that, um, that I, more than anything, want to see make it into the Oscar race. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's been getting some traction. Mm-hmm. Because uh, basically, there's like there's three slots in Best Actress that are guaranteed: Emma Stone for La La Land, Natalie Portman for Jackie, and Annette Bening for 20th Century Women. Mm. Those are all guaranteed. The other two slots are kind of up for grabs. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, a, a lot of list makers have been having it as Meryl Streep for Florence Foster Jenkins. And, oh wow! Yeah, and Ruth Negga for Loving. What was it? Flo Fo Jen. Flo Foss Jen. Flo Foss Jen. <laughs> and uh, and Ruth Negga for Loving. And if I had my way, it would be for sure Isabel the Bear for Elle, and then probably Amy Adams for Arrival. Mm. Uh, just off the top of my head, but um, this is but the one that's the deserving winner here is Isabella Bear. Uh, she has never been nominated, um, which is insane. Mm, that's crazy. Uh, and I think she might have the record for how many Césars she's won, which is the French Oscar. Mm. Um, but she's never um, been in a film that scored her. And to be fair, it's very difficult for actors in foreign language films to get nominated for Oscars. Sure. Let alone to win. Sure. Yeah. You know, Marion Cotillard is is one huge shining exception right. um for, and when she had the surprise win for Livia uh, and Rose uh so but I hope that this I hope she gets through I hope she makes it and I think that uh you know it'd be great to have her god I can just imagine like the insipid red carpet blather that like Juliana Rancic would be like so mm-hmm. rape <laughs> <laughs> um who are you wearing yeah this would, that would be a tough one it would be a tough one to 
Yeah, to to, uh, to go through there. that kind of very like gauzy, yeah. silly, um, you know, uh, award season. Yeah, machine. now like an interview with Kermit the Frog in a tuxedo. <laughs> it's gonna be really strange. Um. So and she's like, "What is this uh, fog? Uh, <laughs> you know, people say French people are frogs. Uh, so you know, you know, we have something incoming." <laughs> she is, uh, but I think that she's. I have to imagine that she's going to really sweep the critics uh, groups for best actress. Yeah. Um, I'm certainly going to be pushing for her in the San Francisco Film Critics Circle. Um, but this is a good for you. You know, she's been she's been she's been killing it in the game for something like 40 years or longer. I believe that she's 63 at this point. Um, and uh, and she's this is a great, great, great performance. And every time I've now seen this movie twice, I can't wait to see it a third time because every time I watch it, there's just different things you know it's about what she's doing in these scenes. It's so subtle and so nuanced and so uh, impactful. Uh, so. You know, everyone in the film is great, but it's her show um, all the way. And uh, and even down to, I was thinking, you know, because the artwork for this has been like, it's her holding the cat and like looking at it. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it was always like, okay, I mean, I guess that's fine artwork. But uh, it didn't really hit me until today that it's almost like she, you know, it's a cat and mouse game. But in this artwork, she is staring down the cat. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, and that, she's the mouse, yeah. Well, no, to me, it was like, because really? the cat's oh. below her. Oh, I see. So she's looking down at the cat. Mm-hmm. Um, so in the, in the sense that her attacker is like the cat, and she's the mouse. And now, yeah. and, then, and then in this, it's switched, and now she's looking down. She's staring down at this cat. She's a giant mouse. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you're like, you're like, cats love giant mice. We have the same, we're on the same like, like, We're saying the same thing. Words. We're saying the same thing. Um, it is L, and it is rated R for violence. Uh, definitely trigger warnings all over this piece. I think that was the first thing you said after the movie. You're like, the movie's one giant trigger warning. <laughs> so just uh, go in there informed, please. Um, but yeah, uh, involving sexual assault, disturbing sexual content, some gri- grisly images, brief graphic nudity, and language. And that brings us to movie number three, which is Manchester by the Sea. An uncle is forced to take care of his teenage nephew after the boy's father dies which dredges up a painful past he'd rather not revisit. So that's the Lee Chen, look. I don't understand. Which part are you having trouble with? Well, I can't be his guardian. Well, your brother provided for your nephew's upkeep. I think the idea was that you would relocate. Relocate to where? Well, if you here? look, it was my impression that you'd spent a lot of time here. I swear. Manchester by sea. By the sea. Manchester by the sea. <laughs> Boston accents left and right. Mm-hmm. Affleck, Affleck, some Damons. Damons are producing. on the producing side. Yeah. Yes, mm-hmm. uh, we have Affleck the younger here. Yes, my favorite Affleck, little Affleck. Um, tell me about it. Uh, Casey Affleck in this film is fantastic. Uh, he is currently the the co front runner for Best Actor this oh, year, wow. alongside Denzel Washington for Fences, which I am seeing Monday morning. By the way, oh, exciting! Very exciting. Um, so yeah, so Casey Affleck, uh, plays a character in this film that is a devastated shell of a man. Mm. Uh, he looks that way. Yeah. He sells it. Um, who is living in the aftermath of an unthinkable personal tragedy and has been living this life of just sort of anonymity and, and toil in Boston where he's working he works in like a an apartment building as sort of like the handyman on call mm-hmm. and um and then as uh, as we mentioned he uh his brother passes away who'd been sick for quite some time and he has to go back and deal with that and then finds out to his immense surprise and great dismay that he has been appointed the guardian of his nephew who is a teenager mm-hmm. and um and that they are expecting him to move back 
And the problem with that is that the area that he would be moving back to is where all these things happened. Um, and that he's been trying to shut out of his life ever since. Mm-hmm. And uh, so uh, this movie, when it premiered at Sundance, everybody, it premiered at Sundance this year, this past January, and everybody was like, oh, this movie is crushing. This movie is devastating. It's heartbreaking. You rip your heart out of your chest. And um, so I was expecting it to be just uh, immensely sad when I watched it. Um, the first time I saw it was in Toronto. Ding! And <laughs> um, and it it is sad. It has like 10% of it is just unthinkably sad. Um, and there are things that happen in this movie that are as harrowing as anything in any movie. Um, one thing in particular. But the rest of it is is funny um it's it, this is really okay so this is written and directed by kenneth lonergan who made uh you can count on me um mm-hmm. so you know he's he's kind of more accomplished as a playwright than a filmmaker he wrote like this is our youth mm-hmm. um so he's an acclaimed playwright he made a film you can count on me which everybody loved which kind of put laura lenny and mark ruffalo on the map mm-hmm. um then his second film was called margaret and it's one of the most notorious cautionary tales in all of history in terms of a film that um, was caught up in a series of legal battles and uh, that extended into this multiple year spanning legal fiasco hmm. and, um, and that led to the film ultimately being quietly dumped in like two theaters um, in a cut that Lonergan disowned. Wow. Um, so he was kind of done after mm-hmm. that experience. Um, but then um, this idea, apparently Matt Damon actually had the idea for this story. And he pitched it to Lonergan, um, who's a close friend of his, uh, to be like, hey, you know, try writing this and then someone else will direct it just to try to like get him back in the game. So Lonergan writes this screenplay and then Damon ends up telling him like, you have to direct this. This is this is you. This is you all the way. And um, and so Lonergan kind of cautiously got back in the game and. And there's, there's parallels between... Damon it. was busy saving China. He couldn't yeah, he couldn't, couldn't possibly. And he was just trying to help his friend out like a good bro would. And, and yeah, it's nice to see white guys getting helped out by I know. Uh, white guys. It really is. It really is. Um, white guys in the entertainment industry helping each other out. And uh, so, yeah, so he made this story. And, you know, like you can count on me, um, this film mixes some, you know, real poignant, heart-grabbing moments with just like really kind of salty character-based humor, mm. uh, like specifically the banter back and forth between Casey Affleck's character and Lucas Hedges, who plays his nephew, is constant. Like these guys are just constantly sort of like bitching each other out, <laughs> and uh, in a very just like salty, you know, wind-blasted New England way. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and Lucas Hedges is astounding in this film. Um, he has also been shortlisted by many for Best Supporting Actor field. And um, I had never seen him in anything before this, but this is not the usual grieving kid. I think in most movies where you have a grieving kid, um, you know, you just see like a lot of like the moping yeah, and just definitely. like, you know, thousand yard stare. And this kid, the first thing he says, um, so, you know, they call Lee to tell him, they call Casey Affleck and say like, you have to come up, your brother died. And um, so he goes to the ice skating rink where his nephew was having hockey practice, of course. <laughs> and um, and then the nephew like sees his uncle and he takes his mask off and he says, "Ah, oh, fuck my fucking ass," <laughs> and that's how he's introduced. <laughs> that's the first thing he says. And so we're just watching him just be this like this this same kind of um, you know smart ass kid mm-hmm. um, that he had been before. 
but with at least one spectacularly performed scene where you know his armor does come down uh but it's mostly just him and his uncle just sort of like snapping at each other so is the the sort of um, argument there that, uh, from what I gathered, that the the teenager doesn't want to leave because he has a great life going on, and yeah, he's like seventeen, so he's almost done. So mm-hmm. he's like he's like you know he's like Uncle Lee, like you you were not going to take me to Boston. He's like you have nothing there, you have nothing. Why are you going to take me out of my home where I have everything, um, to go back to the, your like weird, sad, lonely hole you made for yourself there? Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, so he does not want to leave and he wants his uncle to stay up with him in this other, in, in Manchester by the sea. By the sea. Um, <laughs> and, uh, so he can just finish living his life. So yeah. he can finish high school and just do all that stuff, um, that he, and stay with his friends, stay with his two girlfriends. He has two girlfriends. Oh, That's wow. one of the, he's juggling these two girlfriends, which is something that he's like doing on the sly, which is one of the sort of like humorous flourishes of the character. Um, and he just wants to be able to keep doing that. He doesn't want to have his life disrupted, you know, just because his father has died. His mother it has a, had abandoned the family mm-hmm. uh, many years earlier. Um, she's played by Gretchen Maul. Mm-hmm. Um, her character um, had been a, a she had been a severe alcoholic, and um, in Casey Affleck is very much like, no, don't call your mother. Like this is not going to be about her coming to the rescue. And uh, so, uh, but eventually, she does kind of come to have a role in it. It's these kinds of details that, uh, I mean, Lonergan is, and he's a genius. He's a, he's a great, gifted, spectacular writer and director. And every single one of these characters feels so real and so lived in. The performances across the board are phenomenal. We haven't even mentioned Michelle Williams yet. Michelle Williams. Or we should say the white Michelle Williams. Yes. Because <laughs> let, let it be her problem. <laughs> let it be on her to be like, oh, I'm the white one. Michelle Williams. Um, I feel like it's hard to be a person of our age and not... Well, we saw Jackie a little bit ago. And mm-hmm. there's one part of Jackie where... Um, I don't want to after... wait comes on. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> that was just my, my ringtone going off. I tried to silence it. Couldn't get to it quick enough. Um... But there's this part where she's like, how does the world look at me now um, after this tragedy, after being like a national widow? Mm. And I, unfortunately, I feel because we are at an age where we, you know, we saw the the youthful innocence of Heath Ledger and Michelle Williams mm-hmm. that I can't help see her and be reminded of that sadness. Right. That she'll always be a celebrity widow. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, such a such a bummer. Yes. Um, and, and, and that's so shitty because she has done amazing work. Oh, she's my God. Yeah. So much more than that. And it's not about her. It's about... Just seeing her reminds me of that time. Sure. I mean, I think that that was something that we all felt like we went through with her because, you know, we're all the same general age. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and we were watching them as like this like celebrity couple that we're like, oh, they're like our age. And oh, they're pairing off. Oh, they're, they're a cool couple. Oh, they named the daughter Matilda. That's cute. Cute. And, um, you know, and then that, of course, was the shock of shocks. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, and she's made, you know, and this this role, I would say, is probably a bit more... Mm, it'll be more triggering for people who think of her that way mm. because her character is also rocked by loss in mm-hmm. this film. And, uh, and, uh, she plays it spectacularly. Um, some have rushed to declare, uh, to declare it her best work yet. Mm. I strictly stand by her best work ever having been her kitchen scene with Heath Ledger and Brokeback Mountain. When, oh, wow, when yeah. she says Jack twist, Jack nasty. <laughs> <laughs> That's her best work ever. Don't get it twisted. <laughs> and you know, Ang Lee had them film that their very first day. Really? Yeah. He likes to jump his actors in and make them do the hardest scene first. Oh wow. Yeah. Huh. So that was day one. They had that wow. uh, they had that that layered emotional yeah. connection already. I didn't know that. 
Um, but uh, but she's still fantastic in that she's also being shortlisted repeatedly for Best Supporting Actress, um, even though the field is now owned by Viola Davis for Fences, apparently. Mm. Michelle Williams will likely still see a nomination from this. Um, it's a great performance, uh, and it's always great to see her. I feel like she, 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 you know, it's like she went away for a little while. Um, yeah. So it's good to see her back um, on the screen. I mean, she has done so much, to your point. Think about My Week with Marilyn. Mm. Oh, right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, she was, she was... So she was transcendent in that. Mm-hmm. I mean, she was so, you know, like that was, that was, I think, a chance for us to be like, oh, she's not the grieving widow. Right. Yeah. Because she really nailed that kind of bubbly mm-hmm. Marilyn Monroe effervescence in that movie. Because, I mean, what a, what a daunting thing as an actor to play Marilyn Monroe. Yeah, that would be. And she just like had not even a hint of, of, of self-doubt. Um, she was so confident in that film. And uh, when you think of Marilyn Monroe, you don't think of like, you know, uh, fucking pixie haircut. No, no, <laughs> you know, like nineties. Pasty male Michelle yeah. Williams, but uh, but man, if she didn't kill it, and uh, so she's great in this. The whole cast of Kyle Chandler plays the brother who passes away in uh, the opening, but he is seen in a lot of flashbacks. Everybody in this is wonderful, um, and uh, yeah, this is this is a great film. I should point out this is an Amazon movie. Um, because they bought it at Sundance when they were on oh. just a wild buying spree. So they're still doing, you know, and this is why I, pre- I will always, unless Netflix changes this, I will prefer Amazon um, between hmm. the two because Amazon still does theatrical releases before mm-hmm. they make it available on for Prime. Yeah. Um, Take that, beast of no nation. Like, I'm sorry. It just cheapens a movie. It cheapens a movie to have it available day one to stream on Netflix with, like, your fucking reruns of Third Rock from the Sun. <laughs> like, it just cheapens it. Um, Even with John Lithgow? <laughs> I don't give a shit. <laughs> uh, so uh, so Amazon does right by these movies, and they still give them theatrical releases. Mm-hmm. They have actually declared war on movie theaters, unlike Netflix. Um, so uh, <laughs> so I, I, I give Amazon props for that. And uh, so you can go see Manchester by the Sea um, on the big screen and see its, its wintry New England vistas uh, for yourself as they were intended to be seen. And it's another pick of the week. Mm-hmm. It's getting a binge it from you. Absolutely. Um, and it's rated R for language throughout and some sexual content. The last movie, Jason. Here we go. Is The Edge of Seventeen. High school life gets even more unbearable for Nadine when her best friend Krista starts dating her older brother. There are two types of people in the world. The people who radiate confidence and naturally excel at life. Golden boys. What's up? And the people who hope all those people die in a big explosion. Look at that stupid shirt my brother's wearing. It screams I have a body complex worse than a girl's. When I was 13, it was clear which side of the equation I was on. Oh my god, I knew it. It's really just the hair. You can grow it out. So this one seems to stand in stark contrast to the rest of the movies <laughs> we looked at this week. If you've been waiting to exhale, now's your chance. Thank so God. shoop shoop. Something lighthearted. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is a coming of age. This is just a straight up teenage comedy. Oh, cute. Totally straight up teenage comedy. Um, exceptionally well done teenage comedy. Um, this was a closing night film at Toronto. Ding. And wow, uh, three and for I did, four. I did see it there. And uh, actually, well, no, I saw all four films at Toronto this week. Um, ding. So, <laughs> ding, ding, dong, dong. Um, and this was this was a really, uh, this was a nice palate cleanser at the end of the festival. Um, so it's the writing, uh, directing debut of a, of a, a filmmaker named Kelly uh, Freeman Gregg. And it's a very auspicious debut. 
Uh, this is... So I'm going to say what it isn't just to, like, get that out of the way. Mm -hmm. So it's not quite, like, the new Mean Girls, the new Clueless. Mm -hmm. um, but it's more of a throwback to John Hughes. Oh, okay. Um, because it's, like, it's it's just incredibly... It's, like, it's a very well-written teen underdog characters. Mm -hmm. And I feel like that was kind of his specialty. Yep, yep, yep. Um, and um, and it, it feels very... It just rings true. And uh, the humor is very uh, kind of edgy. Uh, like this is this is this is like an R film. Like the language is rough, mm -hmm. and um, so it's not trying to court any kind of like Mamby Pamby PG thirteen audience. Like it goes. Wow, hard. you're it, going right for the jugular. Sorry, Mamby Pambies, this ain't for you. This wow. movie doesn't fucks with you. So this is not going for that. Um, it is. Uh, it just it, it it feels right. It kind of almost has like a. You know, she's her character. So Haley Steinfeld is the lead. And, um, you know, and she's really well uh, developed as a character. And she's just this kind of like raging, seething um, anti-hero, uh, mm -hmm. you know, who has, you know, this unimaginable betrayal <laughs> um, happen where her only friend in the entire world since they were in second grade begins to date her brother. Haley Steinfeld's brother, not her friend's own brother. <laughs> um and, uh, and her brother was sort of like her enemy because uh, her brother, who was played by Blake Jenner um, from Everybody Wants Some and Glee, no relation to the more famous Jenners. Uh, her brother is like this like perfect jock. And um, and so... The, the, and, I'm and picturing so, like a very Strangers with can Candy dichotomy here. <laughs> Between Jerry and Derek. Yeah. Kind of. Um, and uh, so... And, you know, and Haley Seinfeld's character had kind of been like, oh, well, yeah, we're not... We're the opposite of that. Like, that's the, you know, the mm -hmm. way that you do when you're that kid in high school. Yeah. You're like, oh, fuck the jocks. Fuck the preps. Like, we're cool. Like, we don't, we get each other. We're weird. We're sarcastic. And then to have this betrayal of watching her sister then fall in love or her friend fall in love with her brother. Um, and then that just kind of means the friendship's off. Like, she can't... They're like, well, we can't be friends anymore because you're dating my brother. And now she has no one. And so she just kind of like goes around unloading on whoever, whoever is like unlucky <laughs> enough to get in her path. Mainly Woody Harrelson. Mm, um, who as, plays a teacher, who plays mentor? A, who plays a teacher. Who's very sort of Hunger like, Games-like mentor character? Uh, I mean, not quite a mentor um, because, I mean, she's very antagonistic to him. Okay. <laughs> and he kind of is back to her, um, but in a kind of a bemused way. Mm-hmm. Um, that a grown man should be with a teenage girl. <laughs> um, and uh, Kira Sedgwick plays uh, uh, the mother. Uh, Kira Sedgwick, oh. under what looks to be about 45 pounds of hair extensions, <laughs> um, plays the mother of, uh, of Haley Steinfeld and Blake Jenner. Uh, so, yeah, this is just like, this is just a really exceptionally well done, funny, smart, thoughtful, sort of like teen outsider on a rampage uh, story. Uh, the the one really negative thing I could say about it is that despite being called The Edge of Seventeen, the song Edge of Seventeen is not in a goddamn movie, <laughs> which is, is fucking stupid. This is a movie stupid. about being 17 that isn't about gay people. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> the first for, one in a uh, while. Yes, yes uh, because there there was a previous gay film called Edge of Seventeen, yeah. which might be why this one needed to be called The, the Edge, Edge of Seventeen. 17. <laughs> <laughs> I have no idea. And then there was Seventeen. And then there was, uh, oh, that was what? Being 17. Being 17. <laughs> and then there's, of course, just the Janice Ian classic at 17. But <laughs> uh, so this does that all really well. Um, it also kind of one of the most uh, unique things about this movie, or at least something it should be lauded for, is um, it has, it cast a, a, this hilarious, brilliant Asian actor named, named uh, Hayden Zito as uh, sort of like a 
potential love interest who's kind of angling for Haley Steinfeld's character. Mm-hmm. And he ends up basically being sort of like the heartthrob of the movie that you walk away in love with. Oh, cool. Um, and uh, so, which is a role historically Asian actors haven't been able to get cast as. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, and so, uh, and you will just fall in love with him when you watch this film. Um, Haley Steinfeld herself is actually multiracial. Um, so, you know, so it's, 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 uh, so it's forward thinking mm-hmm. uh, in terms of the cast diversity. Um, and everything about it is just, it's just a delight. It's really, really delightful. And it's really incredibly well done. Um, Sounds like a lot of fun. It is. It is a lot of fun. Um, so, I mean, these other three movies we talked about are so weighty and they're all so good in their own ways. But The Edge of 17 is definitely um, if you want to just take a load off. And especially because she is, you know, she's facing all this kind of adversity mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, through this humorous, sarcastic lens. And I feel like that will be a great entry point for a lot of the audience for the movie. <laughs> um, just being like, I thought I could trust that things were going to be a certain way and they are not that way anymore. And now what do I do? Right. Well, that's a place we all are. And that that's is. a place that uh, this movie kind of guides you through. Way and to bring it back. Yes. Uh, full circle. Um, Haley Steinfeld, I have not liked her since True Grit. Um, but I like her oh, very. Yeah. But mm-hmm. I like her very much in this. And mainly, when I say I have not liked her since then, that means I really hate her in Pitch Perfect too. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and also, she's in the squad, which is definitely which is, something that a grown man should say. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, she ruined it. <laughs> I don't care who knows it. I feel very strongly about this. Um, the Edge of Seventeen is rated R for sexual content, language, and some drinking, which all involves teens. Um, that's our show. Thank you so much for listening. If you like the show, you can uh, please subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Uh, we're on Twitter. I'm at Fight Balance. Jason is. I am at XS Faggage. And guys, we are taking next week off for Thanksgiving for the holiday. Mm-hmm. And uh, and we should be back the following week. And we'll keep you all posted. Uh, if you're listening to this before Thanksgiving, we hope you have the very best turkey day. Uh, and, uh, and for our Australian listeners... If, if you eat a turkey right uh, <laughs> try if you haven't had one it's good um, and also you should watch my favorite Thanksgiving tradition is to dig up that old SNL sketch where Anna Gosteyer plays Cinder Calhoun I don't uh, know this one. Oh my god so she's uh, she's meant to, it was from Little Fair Era and um, and she she plays this kind of a char- the character of Cinder Calhoun she was only on Weekend Updates and she was like uh, they'd be like oh so you're like a singer songwriter and she's like I think of myself as more a, a teller of truths in the great Appalachian <laughs> storytelling tradition um, and uh, and there was an episode where Sarah McLaughlin came out with her and they sing the song called Basted in Blood uh, <laughs> to protest the massacre of turkeys at Thanksgiving time so that I re- sounds great. So I recommend that you all watch that as well to celebrate as we would. And go watch some movies. Take and yourself out. There movies. are so many out there right now. Yeah. Rival, Moonlight, It finally out there. happened. It finally happened, guys. I've been telling you it was going to get good, and now there's a lot of good movies out there to see. Thank you so much. Thanks, guys. Bye-bye. Bye. Binging on movies with Rebecca and Jason. You made it to the end. That's amazing. There, there goes, goes the, the binge. binge.